You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the station's resident football show. Joining me tonight is our regular panel of Ben Green and Ed Tolton. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week we talk drama in the Champions League as both Chelsea and Bayern Munich crash out. A vintage weekend of Premier League action at both ends of the table and the Thames Valley as Wiccan's promotion push continues. All that and more to come on this week's Extra Time. Yes, hello and welcome to yet another episode. It's great to be back in the studio once again and of course be in the company of our regular panel as well. As always, there's plenty for us to talk about and we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of tonight's topics. Remember, you can get in touch with us if you'd like. You can tweet us at River Radio Live or send an email to studio at river.radio. We really would love to hear from you. Ben and Ed, of course, join me on the mics tonight to complete our customary line. I think we're getting to the stage where we can say that now, aren't we? It's uh, we, We've been here long enough now. Gents, I'll, I'll first, and, first and foremost, I'll ask you, how are you, Ed? You all good, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Great to be back in the, in the chair once again. It's like the Three Musketeers <laughs> now, isn't it? I'm, if anything, I'm getting a bit sick of both of you. But, um, Don't no, worry, we feel the to, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to be back. And uh, look, what a fantastic weekend of football it was. Champions League as well last night. And the women's football too in the World Cup qualifiers. So much great stuff happening and it always seems to be around this time of the season. I know there's a lot of things being decided, but, you know take the Premier League for example to, to not have any conversation remotely wrapped up yet is uh, is fantastic Well, yeah. when we're doing an hour, an hour of transfer roundup in the summer because there's no football to talk about I'm sure we'll <laughs> feel the pinch retrospectively Ben all good mate Yes, not bad, not bad. The weather's a bit weird then. It's a bit humid. I couldn't tell it's not a weather show, Ben, with respect. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were branching out. We'll get back to the football, mate. Uh, it's, it's getting nervy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's getting nervy for the playoffs now, isn't it? Uh, we'll, we'll get into it specifically a little bit later, but it's a bit touch and go. Huge, huge games now remaining for the rest of the season. Yeah, at uh, half-time on that Gillingham game, I thought everything was looking rosy for Wickham. Sunderland were drawn with Oxford. I was thinking, this is exactly what Wickham need. Mm. And then it gets to the end of the game, Wickham find themselves out of the playoffs, Sunderland get a winner, and, and yeah, we're back to square one. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more later uh, when, we, when we touch on, on the, a bit of the local football. Ed, you've been on your travels again this week, as you always are, a bit of a, a roaming reporter, not, not necessarily for River Radio, just generally. Tell us what you've been up to, mate. Uh, so this week we've been filming down at Southampton, ahead of the game between Southampton and, and Arsenal. There's only six Premier League fixtures coming up this week, but if you scratch beneath the surface, there's a really interesting narrative with this one. Arsenal, of course, have, have managed and contrived to to lose the advantage they had to try and get into the top four of course with those two defeats to Crystal Palace I'll just <laughs> little pause there to Crystal Palace how long has yeah. that taken I know yeah so three minutes that's that a record three and a half minutes and, and, yeah. and Brighton but you know whatever um <laughs> 
But those two losses have meant that they've lost the impetus in the in the race for the top four. And, and even if they win their game in hand on Spurs, realistically speaking, Spurs are going to still be ahead on goal difference. With Southampton, meanwhile, a club that don't really get talked about very much. But when you sort of scratch beneath the surface there a little bit, there is a there is a question mark over them in a sense because you've got to kind of ask, you know, you sell Yannick Vestergaard and, and you sell Danny Ings and so on and so forth. Weirdly, Southampton are currently in the same position, 14th, that they finished in the first season they came back in the Premier League. That was mm. 10 years ago. Mostly, yeah, and, lack of progress, and they finished as high as 6th, mm. but now you've kind of got to say, what what are they hoping to do? And, and the question, if you like, I think gets sharper in fans' minds ac- across all the teams that are not perhaps regarded as being a, a member of the big six, when you see teams like Wolves and West Ham all of a sudden starting to infiltrate those those top eight places, you start to wonder where it is you're going. So, no, it was a really good, uh, a really good little piece. It'll come out on Friday, so uh, watch out for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that one as well. And you've got to remember if Southampton do manage to finish above 14th, it's inevitable tears from Ralph Hasenhutl as well, isn't it? Because <laughs> any, any big result for them, big time. He's, he's an emotional man. He's an emotional man. As, a, as are you. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into that another time, I'm sure, Ed. That does conclude our in-studio panel introductions, but to help us with our hot topic section, which we start off with every week, we're delighted to welcome Tom Pickering, creator of the YouTube channel Very Biased Opinions. Tom, it's great to see you. And what a weekend of Premier League football it was. We'll touch on in due course. But the Champions League last night saw some pretty unexpected action unfold, didn't it? Oh, it was absolutely unprecedented, it seems. I mean, you know, <laughs> Chelsea were so close to going through and it just it just fell apart. Absolutely totally fell apart. Absolutely capitulated. Then starting on that Chelsea result, then obviously clawing it back to 3-0 to then concede late on an, an absolutely vintage Luka Modric pass, by the way. I mean, it was... Hang that in the loop. Yeah, yeah. As far as I'm, it's not even football, it's art, isn't he's, it, at that stage? He's 36. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, a tr- truly incredible from him. But I mean, t- to get to 3-0, it, all signs pointed to Chelsea going through. How disappointment, how much of a knock will that be to them to, to mount that comeback? But ultimately, fall short I think I think the, the Blues fans will never did right that result they had something like 60% possession in the game it looked like they were cruising they even had the goal chalked out for was it a handball or offside or something mm. oh, they had almost, uh, almost 30 shots and you know only managed to get seven of them on target but they looked like they were heading for a clear victory everything was looking rosy and blue and that, that Modric pass, again, put it on a loop. Just watch it over and over and over again. And then Kareem Benzema, is this his best ever season? I mean, he's just coming up with the goods game in, game out. And it's it's that classic Real Madrid thing of in the Champions League, they just always find a way. It's so frustrating if you're the fan of another team, but... Yeah, again, they've come up trumps. We'll touch on Karen Benzema in a minute because it's fascinating, isn't it? How he's how he's not really ever in these conversations for these for these top top players, but consistently does it year upon year. But in terms of Real Madrid, you touched on that. I'll, I'll throw this to you two guys as well. Do you think last night it was just a case of showing their experience and, and a little bit of class to fight back from that from from being three 0 down and looking like they were going out of the competition? Yeah, it, it basically they had two moments in the game, didn't they? Chelsea were brilliant last night, but for the majority of that, that first 90 minutes, Real Madrid were really off the pace. Um, the fans were flat, and it was literally that moment from Luka Modric, an incredible pass. When you watch it on repeat, the, the swerve, the dip, the, the, the pace audacity. on the ball, the, the audacity. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great finish by Rodrigo, who just came on the pitch, by the way. First touch, and he's only scored about three goals this season. So, yeah, you could say it was their class... You know, when you've got players of a certain quality, they can turn up for just half a second and that's all you need. And I think that's what we saw. Chelsea were very unlucky, in my opinion, not to go through last night. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. But I do think that the thing that Thomas Tuchel said, and he's absolutely right, is that Chelsea contrived to lose that game across the two legs because you go to the Bernabeu with a lot to do. And that came after after you didn't perform at, at home. And that will be the thing that they'll lament because I don't think they could have done a lot more last night, realistically. I mean, to put themselves in the position they were in was a fantastic, a fantastic display. As we say, the Luka Modric's pass. The, I love that, the audacity. How dare he? How dare he at that age do what he's doing? Disgusting. But it was, it was, listen, it was a genuinely delicious pass, wasn't it? And a fantastic finish as well. Take nothing away from that because there's mm. still, you've still got to get out on target. Yeah. Still got yeah. a lot to do with that one. But um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Chelsea will look back on that and, and see it as an opportunity missed. And, uh, just as Kai Havertz, I think, will look back on that header right towards the end and see that as an opportunity oh. missed. Um, Jorginho as well, late on. Did he scuffed a shot wide exactly. as well? Exactly. So, had two. Uh, but I think Ben, Ben kind of gets it completely right when he says that, you know, Real Madrid had two moments in the game but they were clinical really with those moments I mean Benzema did hit the bar as, as well so I mean perhaps that, that was a third where they, where they weren't but realistically if you look at as Tom says you know 30 shots on, on goal realistically you, you knew what you needed to do and, and you weren't quite there but that game for me across two legs was was lost for Chelsea in the first and, and no one expected them to put in the performance they did but you know that's the way it goes exactly I mean it's certainly it, it, it is a fascinating one to see unfold isn't it I mean in that first leg Karen, Karen Benzema was just spectacular wasn't he and and he certainly it, it, there was there was a flash of that last night with that header it was it was took with a player of his experience if that makes sense it really was just to, it, it's just a superb bit of play from him where, where did does he rank for you in terms of these all-time greats Tom in terms of you know th- there's a lot of talk about Lewandowski Haaland now coming through uh, Harry Kane Benzema occasionally seems to be sort of a miss from that conversation but he, he is very much up there as, as one of the all-time best strikers no yeah I mean it's it's, it's shocking because you always think of him as playing second or third fiddle at Real Madrid and for years it's felt that way he was a foil striker he wasn't the main man but then last night, you know, you see him hit that winner and you, you see the reaction and stuff. And I was just like, where does he rank among Champions League goal scorers? He is the fourth most goals ever in the Champions League. He's got 83 goals in the Champions League. He's won it, what, four times? You know, at, at the France issue outstanding. He has been a fantastic player and he's shown an ability to evolve throughout the times. Is he a foil? Is he the leading man? Is he coming deep to receive the ball? Is he defending with the team? Is he an out-and-out he just does whatever the team needs, and he does it really well. And I, I thought you might ask this question. I'm sat there thinking to myself <laughs> last night, I'm like, oh, is he one of the best? He is. He just is. As an out-and-out striker, he's been absolutely fantastic, and he's been in an era with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Lionel Messi. And the more I think about it and the more you look at on paper what he's done, the more you just go, he's fantastic. 216 goals in La Liga, 83 in the Champions League. He averaged a goal every uh, two games or something almost in Liga. Uh, Copa del Rey, he scores a goal every other game. Like he's he's absolutely superb. He always comes up with the goods. I think he's got to go down as one of the best. I, I think you're absolutely right. And it, he's he's one of those. Like I said, it's a it's slight disrespect to him him not being in perhaps as many conversations as he should be to be at the very top of that tree in terms of ability. Um, like I said, a, a lot of it is to do as well with the fact that he did play second fiddle to, to Cristiano Ronaldo for so long. And I mean, it's, it's worth remembering as well with the, the job he did at Leon, isn't it? I mean, bef- before he moved to Real Madrid, he was sensational there, which obviously 
obviously got him that move. He'll certainly, you know, whether it be City or Atletico Madrid that play Real Madrid in the semi-final, I don't think either of those will be looking forward to facing Karim Benzema in the sort of form he's in at the moment. Um, on the other side of the sort of tournament tree, if you will, Villarreal, of course, knocked out Bayern Munich too quite late on in the day. How much of a shock, you know, Tom, did you think that was? I, I, I could not believe what I was saying. I think it was the... The year Bayern won it was two years ago. It was the the massive COVID outage, and they just looked a class above any side on earth. They were absolutely superb in the Champions League. They were winning the league at a canter. You look at what they're doing currently in Germany. I think they're nine points clear of Dortmund. You see Villarreal. You know who they are. You know the style of play. You know that they always overperform, but can they beat a side like Bayern Munich, one of the best sides on earth? And I have no idea how they've done what they've done. It's got to go down. As a huge shock, Um, I actually don't have the stats in front of me, but I remember from watching bits of the game, it felt like Bayern had tons of shots, tons of opportunities, and they just couldn't find the back of the net. And they just ended up ruining the missed opportunity. Another delicious pass, not quite the same ilk to get the ball across for the Villarreal goal, but he's just split it wide open, gone into the far post, and the strikers just kind of hit it over the goalkeeper and in. And I, I think I'm still in shock over the result, if I'm being honest. I think you've got to give full credit to that finish as well because what what he does with that is he pings the ball into the ground so it goes over Manuel Neuer because Manuel Neuer's natural goalkeeping instinct <laughs> is to go down and spread himself. A hard because... man to lob as well, Manuel Neuer. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> and, yet, and yet they found a way. I mean, it's a fantastic story, isn't it? And and Tom's exactly right because I, I saw those stats as well. And at one point in the game, I think it was something, you know, possession was 65% to Bayern Munich. They, like Chelsea, were very, very wasteful. They had some really good chances. They missed so many of them. And and ultimately, Villarreal made, made that one counter-attack count. And they're such an obstinate team, and I hate to bring this up, Will, but to be totally honest, I remember about two weeks ago where you were saying, of this exact tie, well, Bayern Munich are clearly through there, they'll dispatch Villarreal, no no questions, no problems whatsoever. Did we get that clip? One thing I will say, I don't remember too much pushback from either of you about it. I don't think there was there was anyone that stuck stuck their neck out and said it would that wouldn't be the case, mate. That's all I'll say about it. I don't want to argue in the studio. We'll, we'll save that for after. No, no, mate, I'll, I'll you make a mistake you make a mistake don't you and uh, I think every the, the shock that comes with it is is proof in the pudding just of ha- how unexpected that result is do you think it, it's similar in a slightly different way Ben to, to how Chelsea went out in that Bayern Munich perhaps underestimated Villarreal in that first leg and lost it in that first leg because it, they, they had a big job to do against a team that are notoriously good in these domestic European competitions. Yeah, it's interesting talking about underestimating because I actually, I don't know if you gents have seen it on Twitter, there's a great video of um, a Bayern TV clip uh, where the draw was made and they had a, a director from the Bayern Munich board on and they asked him, oh, thoughts about the draw? And he said, well, it's, it's quite an easy draw, isn't it? And they both <laughs> chuckled, they both laughed. And obviously it's easy for us to joke around and say, but that, that can easily float through to the players and I'm not necessarily sure that Chelsea so um, are you saying they heard River Radio last week essentially like, yes yeah, they, yeah. they heard River Radio <laughs> yeah but I, I'm not necessarily sure that Chelsea underestimated, underestimated Real Madrid I, I just felt that Chelsea were going for a rough patch we, we saw their, their big defeat in the Premier League as well so I, I just feel that Bayern Munich yeah 
I, I said to you previously that the, the problem with Bayern Munich is that is the league is always a formality for them and they come into the Champions League and teams are fighting for their lives against them, especially Villarreal, the, the yellow wall they're called. Emery's a genius in Europe. Mm. It was never going to be easy. Um, but just because they're lingering down maybe in fifth or sixth in La Liga, Bayern turn up and expect it to be a walkover like it is in the Bundesliga and, it, and it's not. And maybe that's what happened. It was slightly harder than they thought it was going to well, be. The sixth team in La Liga is probably yeah. quite comfortably better than the sixth team in the Bundesliga, probably. aren't they? So, in, yeah. in terms of, in terms of, especially in terms of getting up for those European nights. I mean, at risk of embarrassing myself again, Tom, do you <laughs> Go think? On, force yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think it's almost? Uh, we've just seen the knockout by minute, so this question isn't taken too literally. I hope, but you, you would very much fancy Liverpool to beat them to get into the Champions League final, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably live to regret this, and you'll all bring this up in a couple of weeks to make me feel like a fool. But you. You, you just can't see how you can't see the side. Don't worry, mate. We do it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, I can't even find words to describe how they've gotten this far. You feel like, especially the way Liverpool have played, their ability to and City, the, the two English sides, you, you just couldn't see them losing to a Villarreal if they played them. Absolutely. I mean, how do you see both City and Liverpool getting on this evening? I mean, we're talking as if Liverpool are through as well. They, of course, have another leg to play this evening. Manchester City as well. Um, pr- presuming they both do go through, they both they both got the upper hand, certainly, in those ties. Do, do you think that they, they, they will? it will be an easy job? I mean, Liverpool certainly do look like they're through, don't they? 3-1 away from home, coming back to Anfield. Although that's the exact but, score exactly what I that see, Real yeah. Madrid had yeah, in yeah. their locker, okay. wasn't it? Yes, Chelsea, it was, mate. So. Fair point. But, but they did go through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then obviously City faces a slightly harder task, but they did look very good in, in that first game. Do you think, you know, how, how do you see them getting on and how far can both of these two teams go? Could we be looking at the two finalists playing this evening? I, I think quite possibly you could. I think when you, you look at the Premier League and you look at City and Liverpool and then you look into the Champions League, these are two of the best sides in the world right now. I personally, and it, it pains me to say it, uh, and it, it hurts. <laughs> I'm going to start trying to find the words. If everyone can just... <laughs> Don't worry, mate. We'll talk about Eric Ten Hag next week. (laughs) Uh, Sissy looked like the best side on earth to me. Um, I think they set themselves up perfectly against an Atletico Madrid side that much prefer to sit back and hold this unit and then try and counter. Well, Sissy are now 1-0 up. We know that they're possibly the best possession side that have ever played football outside of maybe Pep Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team. So I think they've set themselves up perfectly here. And they they stranglehold the game better than Atletico Madrid could ever ever want to. So Atletico are going to have to come on to them, and it's just going to be rife for the picking of the, the passing talents of like your De Bruyne's, your Grealish's, your Foden's. And I think I think they set themselves up perfectly. And Liverpool, they know it's half time in their tie. They're two goals to the good. You, you look at their squad and you go, they'll see this out. They've done so well in big matches this season as well. They haven't really let themselves lose a, a truly big match and you feel like they'll be able to push through and we could very, very easily have an All-England final again, couldn't we? It's, it certainly looks a possibility. Uh, I mean, well, sp- speaking of those two sides, obviously both in action this weekend as well, where they, where they faced each other in what was billed by some as, as a title decider. Finished 2 all, of course, as it would. It was, it was destined to be a draw, wasn't it? Uh, meaning we're sort of no further forward in terms of knowing who will be lifting the Premier League trophy at the end of the season. But it, it certainly was a game that lived up to the hype, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, oh, I mean, it was it was fantastic. Uh, it was so much fun to watch both these sides. And what I really like about Pep and Klopp is they set their teams out to win every game. It wasn't a lot of the time. 
personal opinion, when you watch Chelsea play in a big match, they set out not to lose a big match at last night withstanding. But watching those two sides go at it on the weekend, both of them are trying to win. Both of them are attacking over and over again. It wasn't until the final 10 minutes that you got that ever so slightly, ooh, this is too all. Okay, let's let's have and hold. Let's not risk it too much. The whole match was just counterattack, counterattack, attack. Trent Alexander-Arnold spent, I swear, more time in the city half than he did in his own. And, you know, that's the right back. So it was such a good game of football to watch. And you, you always knew that the second half kicked off. And I know Liverpool scored really quickly in it. But you just felt the second half had another goal in it. You knew Klopp was going to get his players, get them fired up and have them go out there and attack attack City. And it was a brilliant game to watch. And I can't believe I'm saying that about a draw. I mean, City, of course, hold the upper hand in terms of the title race. Do you think it's a result that, obviously a result that favours them in terms of you know, the last few games of the Premier League season, Ed. But the, the spirit that Liverpool showed to come from behind twice against a team like that, do you think that will give them confidence going into their last fixtures? I mean, ultimately, you have to say that you could argue it, actually, that either team could be happier with a draw. In City's case, it means that they they retain the advantage, albeit by a point they still can't afford to slip up. But City, I think, will back themselves. If you look at their, their running, they've got to play Brighton at home. They've got Watford at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Aston Villa at home. And they've also got an away game at Wolves. The date of that is still to be confirmed. But looking at those games, I, I would certainly see City being very very capable of going and winning every single one of them and they will see that themselves as well but they'll take it one game at a time in Liverpool's case I think you could argue they'd be happy with the draw because you have to remember Riyad Mahrez had a fantastic chance to win it right right at the death and you certainly would rather take that point than than lose that game at that moment because that's crushing. Well, the know, title really would have been is. over essentially if Has City won. In essence, it? with a four point gap, you can't really see City. City would have to lose basically twice in mm. order to to really make that something that that Liverpool could could overtake. So I think you could either you could argue either way for either team being happier with that point. But I mean, it was a fantastic game of, of football to watch. But as I say, I think if Liverpool had lost it in terms of the amount of effort they put in, and and it takes an away team to really, like Tom says, go at it and want to go and win a game, you know, and bearing in mind their record at the Etihad actually is is pretty poor Mm. uh, by and large. You know, it takes real courage to do that. And and I think sometimes you have to kind of stand back and applaud. We saw two great teams go head to head and they couldn't be separated. And in a sense, that was kind of fitting, I think. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool's running, I mean, just just in terms of, it's a little bit harder, I think, isn't it? They've got Manchester United home next week Everton at home as well Newcastle away that's never going to be an easy place to go Tottenham at home will be very much in the top four race Aston Villa Southampton and Wolves as well in terms of their running Ben it certainly looks like that the title is going to stay in Manchester doesn't it well, now you've said that, it's yeah. going to go to yeah, Merseyside. Right, well. yeah. um, no, if you looked at the fixtures on, on a piece of paper, yeah. OK, Liverpool have some hard fixtures. Manchester United, despite them being you know, not the team they, they should be right now, that's never an easy game. Newcastle away will be very difficult. Obviously, we've got Everton as well. They've just got a big victory. Spurs are on the map. So, no, there's a lot of difficult games for Liverpool. If you had to ask me if I was a betting man, yes. OK, Manchester City should have the easier games. However, we've seen Manchester City slip up at teams they should have won before. 
Leeds away could be a difficult game. So, yeah, OK, Manchester City are in the driving seat, but you never know. You never know if you're a Liverpool fan, and that's the only thing that can keep you going, isn't it? It's, it's pure hope. It certainly is. It's the hope that kills you with football, famously, isn't it? Uh, just finally on this as well, a bit of Man City news that's emerged since the weekend is that Fernandinho has announced he intends to leave at the end of the season. News which took Pep Guardiola a little bit by surprise. Uh, Tom, how big a loss is that, and, and how great a servant has he been to the club? I think I think when you look at what he's done for the club, he's one of those kind of almost founding players that like uh, David Silva was, you know, a player that has this huge effect. Um, it's the CDM role, this holding midfielder, this hard man that can sit in front of a defense has become a more and more prominent position, I'd say, over like the last 15, 20 years. It started with Claude Makélélé redefining the position and it's just grown with your N'Golo Kantes, etc. But especially up until the end of last season, Fernandinho not playing, made City look so much more open at the back. And they signed Rodri, who's kind of come in and begun to fill that 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 hole. But Fernandinho, is a, he's a leader of the team, and he's a great at the club, and you know that he has this huge effect on them. They convinced him to stay at the end of last season, or maybe he doubled back on the decision because he was going to leave. I know Pep's shocked by this, but he's not playing half as much as he used to. He doesn't play as key a role in as many of the key games. So... Is it a loss to the club? Yeah. Are they leading, losing a leader of the club? Yes. Are they well set in the future to continue their just domination? I think they are. And it, it'll be sad to see him leave, but he's probably about that age now as well where the Premier League is passing him by. Yeah, he's, he's been a great, certainly been a great servant as well to them, hasn't he? Uh, moving on to the race of the top four that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Arsenal gave up their advantage after they lost at home to Brighton, as Ed mentioned earlier. Seagulls have only won three league games, sorry, three league matches since September ahead of their trip to the Emirates, but a 2-1 victory for Graham Potter's men mean the Gunners stay in fifth. They have a game in hand on rival Spurs just above them, but the goal difference will make for interesting viewing if they do beat them in that, that sort of game. The North London derby is bigger than ever. Tom, Mikel Arteta, he's earned a lot of plaudits, hasn't he, for the way he sort of turned Arsenal around following their bad start. Is this a blip or is it a little bit more serious than that, do you think? I, I know I'm going to go slightly off topic here, but I'm, I'm really praying Man United get good at football soon because I keep <laughs> having to praise all of our rival clubs and it's, it's, it's causing my heart to hurt right now. But um, uh, Mikel Arteta has really impressed me this season. His Arsenal side have really improved. You can see clear growth in the, the squad. They are still quite young, relying on players like Emile Smith-Rowe, who has games where he looks incredible and games where he falls slightly off the pace. Uh, Saka as well, getting them more used to to playing in the Premier League. Sometimes Saka just inexplicably makes the wrong decision, but he's a young player. He's growing. And I think Mikel deserves all the plaudits he's getting right now, and they've done really well. I do think they might have shot themselves in the foot here, though, because you look at this, the... What, who Arsenal still have to play, and it's going to be very tough for them to overhaul the Spurs side. But, you know, Spurs have still got to play Arsenal, so you never know what will happen. Tom, can I just ask, what, I mean, you mentioned those young players there, and they've really underpinned this turnaround. It's not just the players that have come from the youth ranks, is it? You know, your Bukayo Sackers and, and your Emile Smith-Rose. It's also the bringing in of people like Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale. Like, that Arsenal team, though they're young and impulsive and there are, you know, mistakes that they make, they do seem really, really fresh. In terms of them, as you say, having shot themselves in, in the foot, is this the real test of that character this season for this team, though, whether or not now they are in that position where they've got to go to toe-to-toe with Spurs, you know, 
they can actually see this through because critics are going to be armed with a lot of ammunition of sort of saying, you see, that that's the Arsenal that I always thought they were and that this was just a bit of a mirage. Is that the real test of them, do you think? I think the test from here is that they've dropped out of fourth place. There are, is it seven games left for them? Eight games left. They've got a game in hand, but as we've discussed, their goal difference is severely worse off. It's not necessarily to me about them now taking fourth place. It's about them not losing a game to the end of the season and challenging Spurs blow for blow for blow. And especially when they get to Spurs in, I think it's three or three weeks time that they put a good performance in. We know they're already not in the driving seat. You can't expect them to magically make Spurs worse, but what you can expect is them to put, put their foot on the gas and it will be a real test of Mikel Arteta's leadership because every game now is basically a cup final for them. Because, like you said, if they don't take fourth place or at least challenge for it now, yeah, I've, well, what's he really done? No, exactly. I mean, I, I just just before we wrap up on Arsenal, I just wanted to ask you two guys as well. It, do, do you think this team, with the inexperience that they're showing, Ben, uh, are necessarily ready to play in a competition like the Champions League? Or do you think that could ultimately sort of halt the progress that they've made? Because we see the team struggle with the congestion when it comes to it. Do you think an, another year of sort of building towards that might be beneficial towards them? No, I think when, the, when you've got the chance, you need to strike with irons hot, don't you? West Ham had a big chance last year. They didn't quite get it. And they might not get another chance now because they haven't invested. So ultimately, if Arsenal got in that top four, as long for me as they recruited properly brought in enough quality players so you can supplement all the different tournaments you know you, you've got to have a big squad when you're in the Champions League and you're, you're competing in four or five competitions I, I think Arsenal starting 11 can compete but for me if they were going to get in that top four the squad overall needs a lot of improvement needs a lot of work some strikers need to come through the door so it all depends on that recruitment in the summer for me I, I completely agree with Ben I think it's going to be a case that with those young players if you had the attraction of Champions League for and you started to see yeah. one or two good names come through the door, they would continue to be the foil against which those big names would compete because you're not going to suddenly say, right, thanks, Bukayo Saka, but we're going to now move on. <laughs> you know, he's become a real fan favourite. Emil Smith wrote, these guys have proven their worth, but what they also need is good, consistent performances uh, around them from their other players. And I think that's what Mikel Arteta has been doing. He's been wheedling out who those people are that he can really rely on. And curiously, Lacazette, for example, has been, has been one of them. He's been fantastic fantastic as a leader of that group and they need a few more players perhaps not of his age but they need a few more players like that that can step up and lead the team and have these younger players in and around them as well I think that'd be a fantastic blend for Mikel Arteta but like Ben I agree they need to strike while the iron's hot and if they can get Champions League there's never a bad time to have it I think no, absolutely right. I mean, it's it's a curious one, isn't it, as well, especially the job that Antonio Conte is doing at Spurs that certainly um, is, is winning over a lot of people as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how that sort of top four race does unfold. At the bottom of the league, meanwhile, Everton showed that they very much remain contenders to stay up following, sorry, Tom, their 1-0 win over Manchester United. Um, oh. I, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second, but I caught up with Lee McLean from A View from the Bullens podcast, and I started out by asking him just how big a weekend that was in Everton's bid for survival? Uh, it was huge. Can't really put it into words, especially given the events that happened on Wednesday night. I was there at Burnley and after that game, we were on the floor, completely crushed and the manner of it, obviously getting beat so late on against such a poor side as well, let's be honest. It was really, really deflating. So I was struggling to get up for the game on Sunday morning. Once I got to the ground, that changed quite quickly and the atmosphere was really, really good. It, you know, if Burnley wasn't, a must-win game after what happened this one most definitely was a must-win 
And what we saw from Everton is all the fans really expect and want to see. So we outfought Man United, and don't get me wrong, it's not the best Manchester United side that I've seen coming to Goodison. I've been going to watch Everton for 32 years now, and that's up there with the worst. But relatively speaking, there's still a lot better than a lot of sides that have come to Goodison and won this season quite comfortably. So in the end, it was a well-deserved win. And then you look at the icing on the cake, really, over the weekend was... Norwich going and beating Burnley 2-0. I mean, I didn't see that one coming at all, but it sort of restores the position that we were in prior to the game on Wednesday night where it's very much in Everton's hands. And after what I saw on Wednesday, yes, I know we got beat due to individual errors again, but Burnley are terrible. Like, really, really, really poor. You know, that's why we felt so low after the game because it was a game we should have won comfortably on the run of play. I'm quite confident now, despite our fixtures on paper, being a little bit tougher than theirs, I think we'll be okay. Although the away form has been abysmal and it really is shocking, it's embarrassing actually. At home, we're a different beast. If you look at Lampard's record, it's five wins from seven now. You know, Goodison Park is a factor and once we get inside Goodison Park, you can see the players raise the game because the expectation's so high. You know, and they want to go out and do it for the fans and the fans are playing their part. The atmosphere at Goodison since Lampard's came in and we've been relieved of the, uh, the enemy, Benitez. It's just been... Unbelievable, absolutely brilliant. So I think we'll have enough if you look at the home fixtures we've got left. Leicester next Wednesday, we've got to play them home and away. Chelsea, Palace and Brentford. Actually, you know, a lot of people are looking towards the Palace and Brentford games as the games that we'll be more likely to pick points up in. Knowing Everton the way I do and following them for as long as I have, I look at the other two. I think Leicester and Chelsea are the games that you can just see Goodison getting right up for next Wednesday under the lights, evening kickoff against Leicester who haven't got that much to play for, I can very much see us winning that one. Um, Chelsea again, Jekyll and Hyde on the day are absolutely brilliant. And if they turn up, let's be honest, they'll beat us. But if Chelsea have an off day and Goodison can be like it is, there's another chance there. That's a game that in recent seasons as well, Everton have done really well in. If Everton can just you know solidify things a little bit and just pick up a point or two away from home, alongside the home fixtures we've got left, I think we'll have more than enough. It certainly seems that way. You know, those sort of results against teams like that obviously breed more and more confidence, don't they? Uh, just in terms of Frank Lampard, obviously it's been a it's been a mixed bag for him since he's replied. The new manager bounce didn't sort of kick in initially, but it does seem slightly better than it was under Rafa Benitez. If he is to keep you up, do you think he's the man to, to take Everton forward and try and rebuild this, you know, such a historic club? Yeah. And listen, nothing could have been worse than Rafa Benitez. Let's get it straight. You know, that was a nonsensical appointment. So Lampard coming in, obviously he had the backing of the fans straight away. And the way he's conducted himself, the thing, how he talks and interviews, he's refreshingly honest. He's definitely connected with the fans. He's connected the fan base again. And he's got everyone pulling in the same direction. And that's absolutely huge. He's not perfect by any means. You know, and he's got to learn. There's things that he needs to sharpen up on, certainly away from home. You know, he's got to find an approach that works. He can't just try and play the same way and expect to get results away from home in the Premier League because it's, it's tough. But we were fast becoming like the Watford of the Northwest, as in too heavy a turnaround of managers. It, it's not sustainable. You can't just keep changing your manager because then you've got to build up of players from different managers with different sorts of ideas. A new manager comes in and, and it's just all over the place and it's hard to build a, an identity within the club if you're just changing all the time. So we've got to stick with them no matter what. But every faith in him, as I say, home form's been really, really good. But let's not forget what he came into. He inherited an absolute mess of a football club that is going to take a while to clean up. But he's one of the individuals in place at the club that I'm happy with. 
and all Evertonians, I think I speak on behalf of the vast majority, you know, we're all right behind him and we've got every faith that he'll go on and you know, bring some stability. Not success just yet, I'm not going to say that because that's getting way ahead of myself, but at least stability and some respectability back to this football club. Absolutely. Well, we wish you the very best of luck for the rest of the season, Lee, and uh, hopefully Everton have enough to, to stay up, which I'm sure they will. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome, mate. Nice one. There you go. That's Lee McLean there from a view from the Bullins podcast. A very passionate Everton fan. I don't think there's any getting away from that. I mean, Everton they they looked in a really bad position a week ago, didn't they? But they now, they they now sort of seem favourites to stay up. Do, do you think that's the case, Tom? And will, will they have enough? I mean, the top and the bottom of the table this year are just absolutely fantastic to watch. <laughs> Every week, you think it's completely changed. I, I was it. Two weeks ago, I was on here, and we said Everton were down and out. We couldn't see how they do it. You know, Burnley are in control. Burnley go and win. You're like, oh, my God, they're a point away. They've done it. And then what? What's Man United? What? What are you even doing? That, honestly, Man United losing to Everton didn't surprise me as much as Burnley going and losing to Norwich. Oh, I, I actually completely agree. Yeah. It was it was a bizarre sort of... And I, I hate to say... I, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to dig you or your team out here, Tom, but I don't even necessarily think it was a case that Everton were that good and that, that they blew you away. It was oh, no. almost a case of United just were just not at the races at all, were they? This, is, this has been them all season. Sorry, not to cut away from the you know the bottom of the table and how incredibly tight and exciting he is but this United side have failed to deliver so many times they've failed to deceive us one good game is followed by three or four poor ones and Everton were lucky to win the game but Man United continue to make their own luck and they continue to put themselves in these positions Everton credit to them are now four points clear of Burnley Burnley have eight games I think Everton have seven left so or no they've both got eight left so really, Everton are in the driving seat. And after Edge has said that Norwich result, and I watched that game, they were poor. They, they just didn't do anything. They were so poor. So, you know, all of a sudden, it looks like Everton are going to stay up. It was, a, it was a crazy one, wasn't it, in a sense? And I think, you know, the, the thing that really surprised me is I looked at Burnley's running and after Burnley had beaten Everton, there were two games you could pinpoint because they had to play Norwich and they had to play Watford. And you looked at those two games and you thought, you know what, if you can go and get six points out of those two and just keep applying the pressure to this Everton side who mentally just seemed to be shot to pieces prior, that is, to that Manchester United game. And you saw them at the end, they just sunk to their knees and at Burnley at Turf Moor because it, it was... Everybody knew how significant that moment was. But as Tom said, within within a few days, it's flipped on its head again because Everton have beaten Manchester United and Burnley have gone to the bottom club in the division and been comprehensively beaten as well, which was, was really, really curious. Um, I don't honestly think Norwich are really in the conversation to stay up. I don't think Watford are really in it either. It no. was very much a case of whether or not Burnley have got the, the minerals to, to, to maybe claw this back again. And listen, Burnley are a really, really obstinate team. I'm not going to say that the Villa are Villarreal of the Premier League or anything like that, but they are a difficult team to play against. They're I've heard very, more obvious comparisons. Very you can say the Wickham Wanderers if you want. I'll let you do there that. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're very, very physical. They, you know, they they know what they're good at and they know what they're not good at. Um, but Sean Dyche is really going to have to earn his money here because that would have looked like three points given. 
and and now they've got to go to work again. But don't you think the beauty of it as well is that we know that one defeat for Everton, one win for Burnley, and it can all flip on its head. Well, we we, we were sat here literally last week, weren't we, saying ahead of that game if Burnley win that, it's it's curtains. And now we're saying it's, it's really going to be a hard task for them to do, whereas it wouldn't shock anyone, would it, this week, if if we suddenly sat here next Wednesday going, oh, it's got to be Burnsley. But, uh, Burnley, that's <laughs> Burnsley. A, a, nice, a nice collaborative team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nor have I, mate, don't worry. Um, but no, we could... We could genuinely be sat here next week, couldn't we, saying Burnley are the ones to stay up. Just how fascinating is this as a relegation battle? It's incredible. It's been, it seems a while since we've had a proper gritty fight, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's what you want as well. And the beauty of Everton, we know Frank Lampard, for me, the jury is still out with Frank Lampard. We, we're not sure that he is still quite the man for Everton. I'm not anyway. At Burnley, you know, they've drawn 12 games this season. They haven't won maybe necessarily as much, but they are hard to beat. Like I said, they haven't conceded maybe as necessarily as many goals, but their problem is scoring goals. For me, I think keeping Maxwell Cornet's fit, uh, trying to get Veghorst firing because he, when he first joined, he looked a brilliant. Oh, we, we raved about we, him. We did we? rave about him. <laughs> we said Chris would who, but no, it's <laughs> quite since that first couple of games, he's maybe gone off the boil. So it's it's about getting Veghorst firing and, and hoping that Everton slip up. Absolutely, Tom. Just before I let you go, mate, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Let's let's get a very biased or unbiased opinion, depending on how you look at it. Who out of the two are going to stay up? Is it going to be Everton or is it going to be Burnley? Burnsley, I should say. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I, I'm a betting man, so I'm betting on City to win at this point, and so I suppose I've got to use my own logic there. Everton to stay up at this point. Everton to stay up. Well, fair enough. Tom, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Look forward to clipping Thanks. that one up in due course. <laughs> <laughs> That's Tom, Tom Ficker in there from, uh, from Very Biased Opinions, a great friend of the show and always giving us uh, some, some very good opinions indeed. Um, it's going to make for a fascinating end of the season, that's for sure. But uh, moving on, last night, of, of course, also saw England's Lionesses cruise to another win in their World Cup qualifying campaign and a mix bag of results for the other home nations as well. Ben, you have the letters for that one. Yeah, so all four home nations were in action last night as the Women's World Cup qualifiers. They do begin to reach their conclusion ahead of the 2023 tournament, which I believe is being co-hosted this time by Australia and New Zealand. Lovely job. So we're going to start... Worst places to have a World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to start with Gemma Granger's Wales, who bounced back from a narrow 2-1 defeat last Friday to France with a resounding 3-0 victory over a struggling Kazakhstan side who are still yet to record their first points of qualification. Goals from Kaylee Green, Natasha Harding and Jess Fishlock don't quite reflect the Welsh's dominance, however. I've got some stats here for you, gents. There you go. Okay. So the Welsh team, 21 shots to Kazakhstan's one. 80% possession. Eight, 80%? Yeah. Oh, wow. And 738 passes to Kazakhstan's 193. <laughs> that is <laughs> Wickham Wonders being Kazakhstan in that situation, of course. Well, that's incredible. A very good win for them. But obviously, France are running away with a group. It's not going to be possible for Wales to get that top spot. So the target now for them is to secure that playoff spot, which they currently occupy. Wales sits on 16 points. They're two above Slovenia on 14. And guess who their last game of qualifying is against? Slovenia. So what a game that is going to be. It's probably going to decide who gets that playoff spot in that group. We're going to move on to Pedro Martinez Loza's Scotland side, who weren't quite as successful. They lost to Group B leaders Spain 2-0. A brace from Jennifer Hermoso scored a comfortable victory for the Spanish, who now have an eight-point gap over the Scots, who, like Wales, I may add, currently occupy that playoff position. That's three games of how to win now for Scotland, who will be looking for a big finish in their last two games to get into those playoffs. They've got a potentially difficult tie against Ukraine up next, 
prospects who find themselves slightly lower down the table, but they've played two games less than other teams. And if they win those, they could get that second spot. However, their final game, Scotland, is against the Faroe Islands, who, like Kazakhstan, are yet to record a point. So you'd fancy Scotland in that game. And we'll move on to the last two teams, Northern Ireland and England. They both played each other last night. That's in Group D. England, obviously, group leaders. Uh, this is the eighth game of qualification for both sides. And much as the several of the Lionesses' previous games during this qualification process, it was a comfortable victory for England. Mm. Braces from Lauren Hemp and Georgia Stanway and a strike from Ella Toon gave Serena Weigman's side a 5-0 victory. Now, England are all but qualified from Group D. They are six points clear and have a goal difference of 68 compared to Austria's 35. From eight games. 68? Yes, you read that. But there's one 20 right. nil win in there, isn't there, though? I think. Oh, what was it? Latvia? Yeah, Latvia. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So they're basically 33 goals up on Austria. So wow. England are qualified. However, stranger things have happened. Well, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> Wow. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, though. Yeah. <laughs> 13-0. You can never write them off. No, exactly. good side. <laughs> unfortunately, though, the defeat proved a costly one for Kenny Shields' Northern Ireland side. They're now six points behind Austria. Now, they need a miracle to get in those playoffs. They need a maximum return from their last two games. They need two defeats for Austria and a monumental goal swing of 19 in their favour to get them into the playoffs. So, like you said, you never know, yeah. but it's looking highly <laughs> unlikely. And that was your Women's World Cup qualifying wrap. Thank you very much, Ben. Really appreciate that. I mean, it certainly has been a very busy week for us to get stuck into, isn't it? In terms of the Premier, all the, all the vintage Premier League action, the top four, the, sorry, the title race, the top four and the relegation battle, as well as some great results for the home or a mixed bag I should say but certainly for the Lionesses it's time to swap the wider world of football for the Thames Valley now though we'll be back very shortly Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This is River Radio Well now for some pop music try this The Football Show on River Radio This is Extra Time you're listening to Extra Time on River Radio. Uh, this, sorry, I should say, we're fast approaching the back end of the show this evening, but of course we can't finish without touching on all our local football here in the Thames Valley. A busy week for most constituents clubs, but look, this isn't about me. This this is all over to you, Ed, for the Valley Rap. Okay, here, uh, we should have had a musical build-up. We should have, mate, really, yeah. <laughs> We've been doing yeah. this three weeks. We should have had a musical build-up and I didn't get one. Next week, Next watch week. Right, clip, clip that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Wickham Wanderers dropped out of the League One playoff places. They were held by Gillingham. Sam Vokes put the chairboys one up at Priestfield with a left-footed strike over a volley from Jack Tucker brought the home side level with just 15 minutes remaining. The result means Gareth Ainsworth's side, as I say, dropped to seventh in the league, but they remain level on points with both Sheffield Wednesday and Sunderland. Each of those teams, though, do have a game in hand. Sunderland's late winner, Oxford, saw them leap Rob Wickham into sixth. Elliot Embleton got the winner in the 89th minute to leave Carl Robinson's side on 69 points after a third successive defeat. That loss means, while it's still mathematically possible for Oxford to finish in a playoff place, it looks increasingly likely that the Kassam Stadium will be hosting League One football next season. In the Championship, meanwhile, Reading also slipped to a late defeat, despite taking an 
an early lead against Cardiff. Striker Lucas Zhao put the Royals a goal up on seven minutes, but Alfie Doughty equalised for the Bluebirds before Tommy Volk scored the winner just five minutes from time. That result means Paul Ince's side have now lost seven championship games from winning positions. And the former Manchester United midfielder says that his side need to be more ruthless. There was some comfort, however, as Millwall dispatched Barnsley by four goals to one. The result means that Reading are still eight points clear of the relegation zone. And although the Tykes do have a game in hand, they do face a struggle to make up ground on Reading, who sit in the place above the drop zone. And finally, Maidenhead United got back to winning ways against Dover Athletic on Saturday. Josh Kelly got the only goal of the game for Alan Devonshire's side. And it has been a theme of late goals this week. 94th minute, Josh Kelly scored to break the deadlock against Dover, who, of course, have already been relegated and remain on negative points. That result ended the Magpies' run of three games without a win and takes them up to 16th in the table. Their next game is against Weymouth at York Road on Good Friday. Kickoff in that one is at 3pm. That's your Valley Wrap. I'm Ed Talton. Uh, every uh, week it takes my breath away, brilliant. Mr Talton. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Need some music at the back of it as well, mate. Actually. Uh, Lots to unpick there, of course, um, and, and very, very well well done, Ed, in terms of the delivery of that. Very impressed. Uh, but Thank the main you. story, of course, being Wickham Wanderers' promotion push is they remain just outside the playoffs on goal difference. We're now joined on the line by another Wickham expert. We're, we really are inundated this week, aren't we? Full of Exactly. <laughs> James Richards from the Buxby Press joins us. James, it, it wasn't an ideal result on Saturday for Gareth Ainsworth's men, was it? No, not really. I mean, especially again. To side that are um, that are fighting for their lives at the bottom of the table, and if you were to watch the game, the second half, Gillingham were very, very good. They needed to get the points as well. They're trying to stay up, and I think going into the game, obviously three points would have been on the would have been on the board for them. But you got to take what you get. And to be fair, I think going away with a point is better than going away with none. So I think um, speaking to Gareth Ains at the end of the game, he was very bittersweet. He knows his team should have done a lot better, but at the same time. Going down to 10 men, injuries as well to Anis Mermetti, who's been brilliant this season. I think a point for Wickham was good. Evening, James. It's Ben here. Obviously, at half time, it was looking so good for Wickham. Obviously, Sunderland and Oxford were drawing. It was the exact scenario that every Wickham fan was hoping for. But come the end of the game, it all flipped on its head. What exactly did go wrong in that second half? Can you just pinpoint it down to the red card or, or could you see the goal coming? I think you can see the goal coming. I think uh, Neil Harris would have uh, given his players the hair-dry treatment. Gillingham were dreadful in the first half. They really, really were. And they're fighting for their lives at the bottom of the table with other teams such as Doncaster and Wimbledon and Morecambe and Crewe. So they know points are valuable. And second half, completely different team. Wickham just couldn't really handle the fact that Gillingham were getting, getting into their faces. And I think the home crowd really played their part as well. They were on their feet singing songs. And they were really getting behind uh, getting behind Gillingham. And I think Wickham just didn't really have an answer to it. I think when Mehmeti went off after 10, 11 minutes, that did change the game plan. And, and Gareth Ainsworth did admit to that. They've trained uh, for three or four days prior to the game. Obviously, they had, they had Cambridge before that as well. And they had obviously prepared for everything against Gillingham. And then when your, one of your best players goes off 10 minutes in, it completely changes the, uh, the dynamic. And in the second half, Gillingham thought, right, OK, let's, let's regroup and go at them. And they did. And their goal was a brilliant goal and it was well-deserved. The red card obviously made things a lot more difficult. I personally believe sitting from where I was, I didn't think it was actually a red card. I actually thought he won the ball. 
uh, Lewis Wing. And I don't think Wickham have appealed it, which means he's going to miss the next three games, which is going to be incredibly important for them. Hence why they've brought back um, Ollie Pendlebreak. He was on loan at Woking. And you've got the likes of Do- um, Dominic Gape. He's only played seven games this season. He's not match fit. Curtis Thompson will be out for a, a considerable amount of time. Nick Freeman, he hasn't played since August due to a serious injury. So they really need their players back. And I think against Gillingham, you can just tell they were just getting in their face. Just Wickham couldn't really handle it. And uh, the points were shared. Obviously, they're still joint on points, aren't they, with Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday. All those teams are on 73, but both of those sides have that game in hand. Now, in terms of the form going into that last four or five games, how important do you think that game in hand could be for those sides and for Wickham? Oh, it's going to be very, very important. It's so unpredictable. It's unreal because I was looking at the fixtures earlier Milton Keynes' next four games, three of them are against sides that are all in the playoffs. So whatever happens, teams in the top eight are all going to be dropping points. So there is no guarantee. Obviously, Wickham will be keeping one eye on other results to see if it's going to benefit them. Case in point yesterday when Rotherham lost 3-0 away to Portsmouth. They're just going to focus on themselves, obviously, because they've got a job to do as well. They've got to um, try and get past Plymouth on um, on Good Friday, then go to Wimbledon on Monday. So they've got they've got a job to do as well. But obviously, they'll be looking around, and every single around them, they'll be keeping an eye on it because it's going to have massive implications on the 30th of April when the season ends. I mean, it does look absolutely crazy up there. And you and I have chatted before, haven't we, and said that in terms of the number of points it will take to even get into the playoffs, this could be this could be a record. And Rotherham, I was at the Papa John's Trophy final where they got over the line and lifted that trophy. But in League One, they're kind of in free fall a little bit, aren't they? Because they've lost the last three games on the spin. But also you've got a scenario where Milton Keynes, as you say, playing those teams that are going to be looking to get into playoff contention and they've jumped up into an automatic promotion spot so for them the idea that you don't have the lottery of getting into the playoffs that you can go up automatically that's a huge incentive so uh, yeah it, it really is tight there isn't it oh it's 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 impossible to call I mean people forget that at the in the middle of January Wickham were top and they were flying then after defeating Oxford to go top, they then went... Um, I don't, seven think, games I don't think Ben's forgotten, have you? Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me, James. Cheers. <laughs> no, 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 apologies, Ben. But yeah, then after, after that game, they then went, they only picked up three points from the next 21. And the vast majority of those defeats came against sides who are currently fighting to stay up. So it's incredibly, incredibly um, tight. And it's very, very hard to call. Like I said, Plymouth and MK, they've got games in and around... Um, before the end of the season against teams who are also up in the uh, top eight. So it's going to be incredibly, incredibly tight. And like you said, Rotherham, I don't know what's happened to them. I mean, prior to yesterday, they'd only conceded five goals away from home in the league this season. That is the best out of all the 92 clubs, yet they conceded three against a Portsmouth side who realistically aren't really going to make the playoffs. So it's it's incredibly tight to um, tight to call it, but they'll be keeping one eye on other results, but they've got a job themselves to do. It's all well and good Rotherham losing yesterday, but if they don't get a result against Plymouth and then and then um, Wimbledon on on Monday, then all this all the hard work during the season could potentially come to nothing. James, I'm just wondering, you mentioned those games coming up on Easter weekend. For me, Easter weekend is one of the best weekends of football in the season. You know the season's coming to an end. And I can't really remember a more important Easter weekend for Wickham. Maybe a couple of years ago when Akinfen was scored at Southend to keep us in League One, essentially. But how big are these two games coming up? Plymouth on Friday and Wimbledon away on Monday. 
Oh, they're massive. They're absolutely huge. I mean, against Plymouth on Friday, there's a little bit of a rivalry between the two sides when Derek Adams was in charge and then you had the playoffs when Wicker managed to get through then get to the final, which they unfortunately lost to South End. So there's, there's going to be no love lost on, on Friday. And obviously, Friday's game has been dedicated to Mr. Wickham, Matt Bloomfield, who, of course, announced his retirement earlier on this year. And it's expected to be close to a sellout. Around 7,000 tickets have already been sold. Uh, they have a capacity of 9,000. Uh, so it's very, very close to being a full house. And it's a huge game. It's a massive game. It's going to be one of the biggest crowds Wickham have had this season. So they need to come up with a performance. And with Wimbledon on Monday, you know, the get is similar to Christmas. The games are coming round thick and fast. And they're against the and they're up against the Wimbledon side, who at the moment haven't won since I believe November. I think they're on one of the longest um, winless runs out of any team in the EFL. But there's no guarantee they can go to Plough Lane and not and not win. So uh, it's 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 so so tight. The games are coming in thick and fast. But Wickham know, as Gareth Ainsworth has said, they've got four cup finals coming up. They need. 10 points really from the next 12 available and the teams they've got to play Plymouth who are above them in the table Wimbledon fighting for their lives Sheffield Wednesday above them in the table and Burton Albion who are currently mid-table got nothing to play for but that's where they a potential banana slip could come into it so it's going to be incredibly tight it's interesting you mentioned Burton Albion as well, James, because they obviously held Plymouth to a draw at the weekend as well. So they are very capable of of having a say in these sort of these sort of games. Don't you? Do you think it's sort of testament to the job that Gareth Ainsworth done overall, though, that suddenly uh, you know Wickham have gone from? I mean, we've we've spoken a lot about this show from from that relegation looking quite likely a few years ago to now rubbing shoulders and very possibly looking at immediate uh, an immediate return to the championship. Is it is it just is it almost good to take a step back and see just how far Wickham have come? In such a short space of time oh of course i mean people forget sometimes that eight years ago they were literally looking down the barrels of non-league football if it wasn't for that three nil win against torquay in 2014 they would they would have been a um not sure what you're talking about (laughs) will's a torquay fan james information i I should probably have told you when i brought you on air but brilliant work james brilliant work don't remember that one mate but but yeah i mean it's testament to how far they've come isn't it it is. I don't mean to upset everyone since I've been, but uh... <laughs> I mean to be fair, it, it, it is it is one of those things, isn't it? And, and Will's quite right because sometimes, and, and Ben and I have had this, we've thrashed this conversation out on air before, where you know the, almost you you have to kind of maybe take stock a little bit as a Wiccan fan and realise how lucky you are to be disappointed if you don't make the playoffs to get back into the championship this year because a few years ago, actually, that that couldn't possibly have been have been further away, could it? No, of course not. I mean, if you would have said to Wickham fans five years ago, you know, you could be knocking on the championship door, they'll be they'll be laughing at you. They'll think, no, they'll be, no, they're not. Now look at them. They've already had a year in the second tier and they were relegated by the skin of their teeth. So it's incredible to see how Wickham have, wrote, have, um, have come up over the last few years. And that is testament down to Gareth Ainsworth. I mean, he's been there since 2009, been a manager there for nearly a decade. And it goes to show you that if you give a manager time and the correct resources, what they could potentially achieve. We've seen so many teams in and around the EFL chopping and changing managers for instant success, and it's never really been sustainable. Yes, Wickham have had a few scares. Yes, they've had an eradication here and there. But if you build the foundations, you're going to build something good. And that's what Wickham have done with Gareth Ainsworth. And he could have easily have walked. You know, he didn't have to stay. And he's had offers, the biggest one being Sunderland. 
people forget they're a massive club, Sunderland, former English uh, champions, the former Premier League side, and he turned them down because he can see what Wickham are doing. And if Wickham go up, then it's it's mainly down to him. Obviously, the players got to do their part. They're the ones scoring the goals, keeping the clean sheets. Gareth Ainsworth can only do the best he can do off the pitch, give them tactics, but the players have a huge responsibility to perform for him. And so far this season, they have done that. But in terms of how Wickham have come up over the last decade or so, or so he takes massive, massive plaudits. He really, really does. Absolutely right, James. It's hard to look at it that way sometimes, isn't it? Especially when, you know, if, if you do miss out on the playoffs, it's not always hard to look at it in that respect. But it certainly is is worth uh, food for thought for Wickham fans, shall we say. James, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Great stuff. That's James Richards there for the Bucks Free Press. Really interesting stuff that, that he mentions there just, just before we wrap up. Ben... Is it important to take stock of, of where you've been when going to this or, or is it actually just one of those situations yet yeah, you're sort of a bit like, yeah, that's in the past, we're in the here and now and we should be getting into playoffs based on our performance? I, I think there's a bit of both, isn't there? For me as a Wickham fan, I'll be incredibly disappointed, not not upset or angry, but just a bit disappointed if we didn't capitalise on our season in the Championship because you know that season by season, you've seen it with Sunderland, it, it gets harder and harder to get back up to the Championship. I so. think you, you were a little bit underestimated this season perhaps by yeah. a lot of teams as well, weren't you? Yeah, but it's definitely at the start of the season, but teams know what we're about now. We've had to change our style of play. We've had to bring in some good quality players. And you're going to have to do that in the summer as well. If you don't go up, you're going to have to probably spend money. And that's a risk that Wickham haven't done in the past. At the same time, yes, two, three years ago, like I mentioned uh, to James there, Wickham won an important game at Southend. And that was to keep us up in League One, essentially. Mm. And I was delighted with that. So as a Wickham fan, you do have to remember that only two, three years ago, it was a completely different story. So you've got to have a level head, I think. On the theme of clipping things up and making sure we, we get some sound bites to play back at the end of the year, are Wickham getting in the playoffs as a first question? And if so, are they going up to the championship? Then? So I've said to you guys off air, if Wickham get in the playoffs, it looks like they're going to play Rotherham. They will beat Rotherham over two legs. And I've said, if Wickham get in the playoffs, they will win the playoffs. There you go. There you go. Right, clip it up, Ed, now. now. <laughs> Great stuff, guys, as always. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be back at the same time next week, of course. Ed, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Yeah, well, you were. I, mean, I was just standing there thinking, you've given yourself quite a long run-up. I, 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 I just wanted to hear your voice, yeah, mate. That's all it was. Thanks, you're welcome. <laughs> what a stitch up. <laughs> well, uh, no, it, no it, has, it has certainly been a great show. And uh, more drama, of course, to unfold over the weekend as well, which I'm sure we'll be getting stuck into this week. A very busy weekend for everyone. Ben, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a shorter time, mate. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> and it, how nice is it to have the three of us on again? Yeah, it, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a privilege not